So we're continuing from where we stopped um, last week. And we last week we looked at working in love, right? We looked at working in love and um, we began to explore, I mean, just reasons why, why we ought to work in love. And remember, our overall theme is ambassadors of Christ, that's representing Christ, living apostolically, living as um, people that are saints, right, on earth. So that's our overall theme. And then under that, we're now looking at working in love. And why this is important is because um, Jesus Christ said um, that the way the world will know we are his disciples is through love, the way we show love to, to one another. Meaning love is that distinguishing um, factor, is that distinguishing element in the life of a believer that the world will use to recognize um, that we are his disciples. It's almost like um, it's almost like a club having having a jersey. The way you know, for instance, that this is Chelsea or Arsenal or Man Manchester United is by the jersey they wear, not necessarily by the color of the skin of the people or by the shape of, of their their bodies or their or how tall or short they are, but by their jerseys. Meaning, the moment someone switches a jersey, right, you you just associate the person with a particular club. And also, even if you don't know a person ever before, maybe it was the first time you're just meeting him, but you see the person on the football pitch wearing a particular jersey, then you know that this person belongs to a, that club, right? Either Chelsea or, or whatever club it is. It is the same way also Jesus says, when we wear love, that even if people don't know us as individuals, but by the jersey, by the clothing of love that we wear, they will identify us as his disciples. So this is very crucial to our experience, um, to our representing Christ, to us representing Christ. This is super, super crucial, all right? So today we are continuing from where we stopped last week um, on, on the topic of love. And just to run through it, last week we looked at, looked at the fact that the ultimate proof of our discipleship is love. And we saw how that love is the operating system that governs all the expressions of of, um, of the spirits, right? All the demonstrations and manifestation. Um, love is that love is that um, is that binding force that governs it. And we also saw that um, the 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 proof of maturity is not is not your spiritual gift. Rather, it is how okay. No, this was what we looked at previous weeks, right? But how how love guides and um, organizes the way you express that spiritual gift. And then we went for that talk, talk about forgiveness. And I think it was quite an interesting conversation last week around forgiveness. So that was what we did last week. And so this week, I want us to go in to specific details. So you um, just follow me as we write. To begin with, let's read First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Please read if you are there. First John chapter 4. Verse 7 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 8. Please read if you're there. Anyone there? Um, I can't hear you if you're reading. No one there. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and, and 8. Okay, let me read then. So 1 John chapter 4 says, um, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loves not knoweth not God, because God is love. Praise God. Um, just to confirm, can you all hear me? Please let me know. Um, give me a thumbs up if you can. Or just drop a message in the chat or say it out. Let me show you can hear me. Okay, okay, good. Okay, great. So you can hear me. All right. So verse 7 again says, Beloved, let us love one another. So this was Apostle John giving and giving an instruction to the church. He says, Let's love on one another. And he goes on to explain that the reason is because love is of God, meaning that love originates from God. So it's, it is impossible to find love outside the source of love, right? So love originates from, from God, meaning that there is no other place, there's no other context in, or there's no other, any other source that you can derive love from except it is from God himself. He says love is for, of God, right? And then he goes on to explain that, and everyone that loves is born of God. So it now goes deeper, it goes further in that, in that um, explanation. That yes, love is of God. And if you happen to see anybody that is expressing love genuinely now, that's love from God's perspective, right? Not not I'm not necessarily referring to the emotional aspect of love, but I'm saying love from God's perspective. If you ever see anybody expressing that kind of love, then the person can only do so because he is born of God. What that means is that the only class of people that can actually show love the way God views love are people that are born again, right? So you have to be born of God for to have the capacity to really show love from God's perspective. And somebody will ask and say, ah, what about unbelievers that are kind, that are, uh, are, are nice, unbelievers that you know have good character and good morals? So yes, as human beings, right, generally speaking, we carry the nature of God. However, um, there is a limitation in our expressions of, of love outside of Christ. So an unbeliever can express kindness, express um, um, you know, moral values, right? However, there's a limit to which he can do it if he's not aided by the spirit of Christ. Remember the Bible says that um, though God has shed abroad his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. So the love of God, right, he is made available to us by the Holy Spirit, meaning that without the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a dimension of love, right, that a, a, an unbeliever cannot manifest except he has the Holy Spirit, except someone who has the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's what the Bible says, that if you see anybody that loves in that manner, then that person must have been, must be born of God, because it is impossible to love God, uh, or, or rather impossible to love the way God would want us to love without the Spirit of God, or without being born of God. So we're still in verse 7. It says, and everyone that loves is born of God, and then he knows God. Verse 8 says, he that loves not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So again, if you meet somebody that doesn't love, right, and, and this is where it becomes a bit, um, for lack of a better word, a bit scary, that if you can see believers that, that refuse to express love, they, they just, you know, the whole darkness, they, they take pride in, in withholding love. And sadly speaking, if you're from an African background, you'll find out that it's this, it requires a lot of effort for our, especially our parents' generation. It requires a lot of effort 
for them to really show love, um, to express love. Um, the Bible says that the person that does not love, that, that doesn't express that love, then that person is not doesn't know God. And he says the reason is because God himself is love. So it's almost like saying, let me say, for instance, um, um, Bayo is my friend, right? And then Bayo loves loves good. Bayo loves playing playing um, PlayStation. And this is a, this is not fiction, it's true. He loves playing games. So Bayo, someone comes to meet me and says, um, um, do I know Bayo? And no, no, so, so Bayo likes play, loves playing PlayStation and then he also loves using the club Arsenal. And so let's say someone comes to my house and they were playing game and a game and all of a sudden I use I choose the same club as now to play and then he sees me responding in a particular way he sees me saying some things that in a, saying some some exact words and he looks at me and says ah, you sound very much like Bayo do you know him what what that means is that he has I am exhibiting a, a exhibiting traits that I picked up from Bayo right because I had I am his friend because I've stayed with him because I know him. And someone else can recognize those traits because I have I've taken them from bio, right? So that's what the Bible says in verse eight. Verse eight here that he that does not love, right, doesn't know God because God is love. Meaning, if you know God, that trait will rub off on you, and then you express it to your fellow um, human beings, all right? So it's impossible for someone to say I know God and the person doesn't walk in love. And it's so interesting that the measure of the our knowledge of God or the, the expression of our knowledge of God is not necessarily in, in deep sounding revelation, is not necessarily in performing miracles and signs, but rather the Bible says it is in the expression of love. If it is love that motivates you to, to, you know, to do miracles or to give or to, to do anything, then yes, that is very valid. However, there are people that give that the giving is not necessarily motivated by love. The giving is an attempt to show people that they have money. So they say, oh, what do you want? You want to pay us? I'll come and take. And then, you know, by the way they do it, you know that they are trying to show they have money. Even though they are giving, but the giving is motivated by um, a desire to draw attention to themselves. But that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible says that anybody that knows God, right, would love. And if you, if someone doesn't work in love, then the, the person doesn't truly truly know God, all right? So I just want to read, read this out to us as an introduction, that God is love, and um, when we love, we show that we know God. When we walk in love, we, we give pr proof that we actually know God intimately. Praise God. Okay, so what, what I want us to look at um, closely today um, is what I call expressions of love, all right? And like I said last week, love is primarily a verb, not a noun, meaning love is an action word, not just a, a noun, not just a definition or a description. So when we when we walk in love, it will be impossible to to um, to complete the circle of love without ending up in an action. Do you know what I mean? So it will be it will be impossible to complete the circle of love or the expression of love without ending up in an action. So the Bible says. For God so loved the world, he didn't end there. He now says that he gave. Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So every, every, the sequence of love always ends in an action. And so I want us to look at some of the expressions of love. This is not all. In fact, we're just going to look at two of them for the time we have. And there are several other expressions of love. But I just want, want us to look at these two primary ones um, in today's Bible study. 
So join me as we ride on. Now, the one of the very interesting ways and important ways that we show we love is the way we treat people. Now, mind you, and I need, I need to give context to this. When we talk about love right now, we're talking about love um, within human beings, okay? Um, you know, someone explained it this way, that the reason why the cross is in the shape of the cross is that it shows us two significant directions of our relationships, all right? Um, one, vertical relationship, and then horizontal relationships. So her vertical relationship, in this case, means um, relationship with God himself, all right? So vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And then there's a horizontal relationship, which is our relationship with our fellow human beings, Okay. And so that is what the cross represents. Now, if we apply that to also love, there's our love for God, right? And then also there's our love for our fellow human beings. So for the purpose of today's study, we are focusing on our love for our fellow human beings and not necessarily our love for God, all right? Hope that makes sense. Okay, so I said first expression, one of the ways we express love for people is how we treat people, all right? You know, have you ever, I mean, even, even have, for those of you that have, that have all those cute, cute puppies or cute dogs in your house, right? Um, you know that if you keep an animal, a dog or any, any other animal as a pet, the animal knows intuitively that you love it, right? You can't say, I love this animal and you don't, I mean, you don't care about it. You're not giving it food. There's no action to show it. And simply because animals don't understand English. They don't even understand what you're saying. If you say, oh, I love, let's assume the name of your dog is um, Doggy. You say, oh, I love I love you, Doggy, and the dog doesn't understand that. The only, only language the dog understands is the way you treat the dog. So how much more human beings? You cannot claim to say, oh, I love people, which is very cheap to say anyways, but, and then you, you end up not treating them um, in a way that reflects that you love them, all right? So I want to look at how we treat people. It is super, super important. And um, we're going to see again that even, even our definition of our love for God is can only be expressed in the way we treat people, all right? So we're going to read that. Um, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Please, someone should go ahead and read for us. Uh, but, but just before we read, let me say that, you know, this... Topic this, like I said last week, most of what you might will be looking at is not entirely new, but it's a very solid and important reminder for us as we walk as we walk in our Christian Christian journey, because it's very easy to view maturity as as um as an expression of spectacular giftings, but when God views down, He looks at the heart first before anything, and you know, like they say in Nigeria, you cannot bobo God, you cannot. You cannot trick him, all right? God sees the heart. Praise God. So someone should please read for us Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Anyone, please? Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, Romans 13. Yes, please. 8 to 10. Yes. Own nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will find the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, 
you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's love. Wow, hallelujah. Thank you for that, Ida. I mean, this scripture is very explanatory. And um, it says, from verse, from verse 8, it says that we should not owe anyone anything except our obligation to love. Meaning the way God views it is that we are obligated to love. And interestingly, the Bible doesn't tell us, doesn't give us, it doesn't place the actions of people as a, as a prerequisite to us expressing love. You get what I mean? It didn't say that love because somebody treated you right or love because, oh, this person is nice to you or love because this person belongs to your family. It says you have, we have an obligation to love. And an obligation means it is, it is necessities placed on you. It wasn't a suggestion that God, was, um, God is giving us here. It is an obligation to love. Just the same way in your office, you are obligated to carry out your, your, your role or your task in the office, right? What they employed you for. It is the same way also you are obligated to love one another. And it's a very strong um, responsibility placed on us. So it says we should not owe anyone anything except the obligation to love. And it says that for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. He that loveth another has fulfilled the law. So I'm going to explain this, but let me read the next verse. So it says, whatever the law or whatever the commandments of the law is, whether it says don't commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, don't bear false witness. Everything, he says, it is summed up in this. And it says, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What the Bible is saying is that all the law that God gave the Israelites in the Old Testament and spanning all through the the um oppression of, of God among his people. All the laws he say, he said, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do do that. All that he said, right, was can be summed up in one sentence. He says, love the, your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus Christ explained it to us this way, that the law and the prophets can be summarized in this, in, in this, in two simple things. Number one is love the Lord your God with all your might and with all your heart. And now says closely related and closely following that one, is love thy neighbor as thyself. So for the purpose of this Bible study, like I said, we're looking at love within ourselves, right? So we're going to focus on love your neighbor, love your neighbor as, um, as yourself. So the Bible says that if you can do that, then all that the law is requiring of you, you have fulfilled it. So if you can, if you can love your neighbor as yourself, if you can show love to one another, then all the requirements of the law has been fulfilled. And why is that so? Okay. It is so because, and I put it on the slide, it says that the law, when God introduced the law, all right, it was God's attempt at educating man about his nature. So, you know, man had fallen from the Garden of, right from the Garden of Eden. Man had fallen, right? And then everybody lived, lived however they deemed right. Um, Cain did what he thought was right. He killed his, killed his brother. The other put that lived, just lived anyhow they wanted to. And God wanted to introduce man that when I mean man, I mean like mankind now. He wanted to introduce man to his nature, to his um, to his um, to the way he lives and the way he thinks and the way he he operates. So to do that, he said, "Okay, let let me introduce the law." So the law was filled with a lot of do's and don'ts, and God's hope was that through these rules and regulations, man will be able to understand the way God thinks. 
right? So that the law was man's was God's attempt. Sorry, the law was God's attempt at educating man about his nature. But again, eventually, um, it, that wasn't really successful because man had an an inherent problem, the problem of the nature of sin inside man. So eventually, God said, "Okay, I'm going to take away this nature of sin and give you a new nature, and then I will write my laws in your heart." Meaning, the new nature would come with 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 an inherent operating system that teaches you my 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 method of doing things just like you buy a laptop for instance whether a windows pc or a macbook right and in your in that laptop there is there's a pre-installed um, operating system on it such that it determines how you operate with the laptop so it is the same way god now said i'm going to put my i'm going to give you a new nature right that comes with a pre-installed way of living all right and that's what we receive in salvation so I said here that every commandment in the law was an expression of God's nature. So think about it. When God says, do not lie, God was trying, God was expressing the integrity in his nature. When God said, um, honor your father and your mother, right, in the Lord, that was a nature of honor that God was trying to express. When God said, do not kill, God was trying to show that um, that 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 he is life and we should extend that life to others. To others, when God said, even, even, right, and listen to this, even the part when God says an eye for an eye, right, in the, in the law now, under the law, when God said that, he was trying to exp express to his people that there's such a thing called justice, right, and as much as God is a merciful God, he's also a just God, but again, eventually, because of the inherent nature of man, um, inherent flaw in man's nature, that couldn't, that wasn't successful, however, at the core of it, every commandment was an expression of God's nature. So this is it. When we now walk in love, remember where we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse um, um, 7, and, 7 and 8, it says that, let us love one another because love is of God. Love is of God. And in verse 8, it now says, um, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God himself is love. So love is the very essence and the very nature of God. All right? And when we walk in love, we express that nature of God. So that doing that already fulfills the law. Remember, the law was introduced because God wanted to educate man about his nature. So the moment you begin walking in love, you are already expressing the nature of God. And that fulfills the law. And if you see that every commandment that God gave, right, um, the Ten Commandments now could be split into two, into two forms generally our relationship with God and our relationship with man. I, I believe the first four dealt with our relationship with God and then the, the, the last six dealt with our, with our relationship to man. And that's why when you collapse it, the summary is love God and love man. That is the summary. All right. And again, like I said, for today's study, we're looking at love towards man. That's love towards um, the fellow human beings. Every of the law that God gave, the, every of the law that God gave Israelites towards, um, as regards their relationship with one another, it will automatically be exercised if you love the person. So when God says, do not kill, once you love someone, obviously you wouldn't kill. When God says, do not lie, if you love someone, obviously you would not lie. God says, do not cheat, do not, um, do not snatch your neighbor's wife. You not, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to snatch his wife. Exactly. So all that God gave us in the commandments was to show his nature, right? And so whenever we walk in love, we express the nature of God and that automatically fulfills the law. So because of that, the um, love is the fulfillment <clears throat> of the law.
All right? Does that make sense? If you understand it, um, give me a thumbs up. Let me just know you're with me. Before we move on, just so I'm, <clears throat> sorry, so I'm sure we're all together. If it's clear, let me know. Okay, so I am assuming it is clear. All right, so let's continue. Um, First John chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. So remember, we're talking about treating people. Oh, there's something I, I didn't point out. And let me go back. Let me go back to it. So before we go to First John, please, let's go back to Romans, right? Um, Romans chapter 13, look at verse, 9, verse 10. It says it very clearly. It says, love walketh no ill to his neighbor. Meaning love doesn't think of doing wicked to your neighbor. I mean, if if you know that, if you know, for instance, you live in a block of flats, right? And you know that um, a particular action would will hurt your neighbor. Love will not lead you to do it. Not at all. And, you know, this is very important because when we when we begin to manifest, say, for instance, the gift of, of God, right? The gift of the spirit. If love is not our motivation, if love doesn't guide the expression of the gift of the spirit, we, will, we might end up tarnishing people's images and we might end up destroying people in an attempt to, quote unquote, exercise the gift of the spirit. All right. And that's why, for instance, when God gives, let's say God gives me a word of knowledge about somebody and when in, in a group of meeting or in a meeting, for instance, right, with a group of people. And then God gives me a word of knowledge about someone. And that word of knowledge reveals something sensitive about the person. What love teaches me is not to mention the details to the, about the person um, and maybe wait for a, for a private time to tell the person the full details. But I wouldn't mention it in the presence of, of every other person because of the sensitivity of that information. All right. Well, so what I could do is, for instance, just... If, I, if I'm going to say the details, then I wouldn't mention the person. If I'm going to mention the person, then I wouldn't mention the details, all right? Just so that I can protect the person's image in the presence of others, all right? Except, of course, the person gives me express permission. And even at that, I will still exercise a lot of caution, okay? So love just says, if, if this is going to hurt your neighbor, then you need to be careful about it. And even when we tell the truth, the Bible says telling the truth in love. You know, there's a way you can come and tell someone the, tr the truth and... The truth, it is the truth, though, but it ends up damaging the person because it wasn't said in love. Okay. All right. So sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened. Um, please, if you can hear me, just let me know. I think we, we blinked for a minute or a second. So if you can hear me, please give me a thumbs up or just let me know so I can continue. Um, no thumbs up. Okay, thumbs up. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good. All right. So, back to what I was saying. So, um, I said that even when you are expressing, when you are telling the truth, right, the, telling the, the truth should be done in love. And I was, I was going to give us an example. So, assuming, I know you don't have, you know, all your friends are really great people, but assuming you have a friend that has body odor, you know, that's one of the... <laughs> one of the most difficult things to tell somebody, even if the person is, is so, so close to you, right? But how do you now tell the person without the person feeling, without the person feeling condemned, right? Yet you, you're communicating the truth because truth in, in this context is very painful. 
And there are many times where we have to tell the truth to people and the truth is not convenient. What helps us, what should guide us in that, at that moment is love, all right? So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter three that we should tell the truth in love, all right? So I just want to chip in that, um, that love walketh no ill to his neighbor. So if you see somebody that in the, all in the name of Christ, all in the name of God is um, doing something that eventually hurts the, the neighbor, then the person is not walking in love, all right? And, and, and that doesn't fully represent Christ. All right, so let's read First John chapter 4, verse 19. Please read if you are there. First John chapter 4, verse 19. Sorry, yeah, verse 19 to 21. Remember, we're looking at how we treat people, all right? First John chapter 19, chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. Please, anyone there should help us read. Anyone, anyone, please? All right. Again, you, you know, the, these scriptures we're reading are so simple that they can be overlooked. However, that this is the crux of our Christian faith. And this is really how God measures maturity. And I keep saying this, that God doesn't, God doesn't me- measure maturity by how many um, people you have been able to heal. That is all excellent. He rather measures maturity by the motivation for healing those people. Because, again, the gifts of God, gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So if someone has the gift of healing, for instance, even if it is out of anger, the person can still heal somebody. If it is out of jealousy, the person will still heal someone and the anointing will work. If it is out of competition to show that um, I, I'm not, I'm, I can heal, heal past, you know, I can heal the most, the anointing will still work, right? But the motivation is what God uses to measure the expressions of the anointing. And if our motivation is not love, then there is nothing there, you know, just like we read last week from 1 Corinthians 13. That if we speak in tongues of angels, we, we do all the signs and miracles and prophecy and everything. And love is missing. He says, even if you sacrifice yourself, right, give yourself to be burnt, and love is not the motivation, then there is, there is no benefit, there's no value in it. All right, so we looked at that last week. So here he says that, from verse 19, that we love because he first loved us. And this is super important for us to note, that the reason why we can love is not because we we gingered ourselves to love. No, the reason why we can love is because we have drawn from the love that he has for us. So he said that we love because he first loved us. So again, like I said last week, if you have not tasted of the love of God experientially, you, you find it difficult to love people. And, and we said this with respect to forgiveness, that if you don't, if you haven't drawn from the forgiveness of God, if you don't know how much God has forgiven you, it will be very difficult for you to forgive others, all right? And in the same vein, if you haven't drawn from the love of God, if you haven't really experienced the love of God, it will be really difficult for you to love other people as well. So verse 19 says that the reason why we love is because he first of all loved us, okay? Then verse 20 now gives us a scenario and says, if a man says, that I love God and hate his brother. The Bible says it expressly that that man is a liar. So 
Okay, let me finish the verse. He says, for how, for he that loveth not his brother whom he had seen, how can he love God whom he had not seen? So he says that as you mean someone comes to you and says, ah, I love God. And let's say the person is in place of worship, the person is crying. And you know, you know, there are people that, I mean, no, no offense, but there are people that when you are worshiping, and the way, when you open your eyes and see the way they are worshiping, you almost want to doubt your salvation. You're like, is it the same God we are worshiping? Because the, the way the people worship God, they will cry, they will roll on the floor. And you now begin to question yourself whether you are genuinely worshiping God or not. All right. And the Bible says that if you see, if you see that kind of person, right, and he cries, I love you, God, I will give you anything you want. I will give you anything. If you ask me for my house, I'll give it to you. If you ask me to die right now, I'm ready to die for you. And the person is so expressive for his love for God. But after that worship service, you now go out and the person has space in his car and someone is going to the same direction he's going to. And the person wants to follow him and he says, no, you cannot follow me. Why? No logical reason. The Bible, the Bible is saying that that person, right, that was saying, I love you, I, I love God, I love God, the person is a liar. Meanwhile, when God looked at the person, the person was worshipping and, and crying and rolling on the floor, claiming he loves God, but didn't show love to his brother. God, from God's perspective, God looked at the person and says, you are lying. I know with your tears, you are still lying. With your rolling on the floor, you are still lying. With everything you are doing to say you love me, you are still lying. And the reason the Bible gave is that you cannot claim to love God that you don't see if you don't show love to the person that you can see. What that means by implication is the people we see, the, 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 our relationship with people we see is the proof that we love God that, that we, we don't see. Let me take that again. Our relationship with the people that we see will give evidence of the, uh, we will give evidence of our love for a God that we cannot see, okay? So we cannot see God, all right? However, the way we prove and the way we show that we love God is by loving our fellow our fellow um, human beings, by loving our bro brothers and, and humans in general, right? So it's not logical from God's perspective. It doesn't make sense to say you love God that you cannot see. When this, the very person you see next to you, you don't show love to the person. God says that that, that is invalid. And that is why, you know, if you, if, if Christians keep, keep uh, professing love, right? If Christians keep professing love for their neighbors, love, sorry, love for God, and they say, oh, I love God, I love God. You find out that most times what God would request you to do as a proof for, for your love for him is to express that love to your neighbor, okay? So, for instance, the Bible says that he who gives to the poor, lends to the Lord. Um, in the book of Proverbs, he says that if you see somebody that is poor, someone that is in need of whatever it is, and you give to that person in need, the Bible says that it is equivalent to you lending to God. So somebody will say, ah, God never owes. Or, or someone says, for instance, there's nothing I can give to God. That's not exactly true. Because if you give to your neighbor, then God records that, ah, this person or this sister gave to to this, to this other person in need. That means I owe this sister back for what she gave, all right? That means our relationship with the human beings we see gives evidence to our love for the God that we do not see. So again, I say it is impossible to claim that you love God if the people around you are not being shown love, all right? So what I want to ask us now at this point is, you know, just a rhetoric question is, 
who are the people around you that God is expecting you to show love to as a proof that you love God? Because the way it is that every time I come and say, and I come to God and say, God, I love you. What God will ask me to do to show that I love him will be in relationship to a fellow human being. So for instance, I come to God and say, God, I love you. And God will say, if you love me, help that your colleague at work. Or if you love me, why are you holding grudge against this person? Or if you love me, then I have this your neighbor next door that is in need of something, you and you have it, go and give it to that person. All every time we prove, every time we want to prove that we love God, the, the proof of our love for God is always in relationship with the human beings that we can see. All right. So let me read verse nine, verse 20 again. <clears throat> if a man say I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. It's so clear. It's so plain that you cannot come and be worshiping in church and say, I love you. I love you. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. And then you are, you are saying, Jesus, I'll give you everything. And then just uh, right after you go at, on your way, from, <clears throat> sorry, on your way from church, <clears throat> excuse me, right after service on your way from church, the security man at, at your gate, you treat him anyhow, you talk to him anyhow, you insult him, and then you, you, you claim you love God. If you cannot... You cannot fool God, you know. The Bible says God cannot be mocked. So if you really claim you love God, it will reflect in the way you treat people. You cannot be insulting people and hailing, hailing abusive words on people and then you claim you love God. It doesn't work that way. God knows it. God says it's a lie, okay? You cannot claim you love God and then you rightfully have what somebody needs and you withhold it from the person for no just reason. The, the Bible says your, your profession of love to God is a lie. Let's say you run a business and then you owe your staff salary when you genuinely have the money to pay them. But because of one, one or two shady deals or one or two um, extra profit you want to make, you withhold the, what is due to them. And then you come to church and pay your tithes and say, Lord, I love you. God says it's a lie. You cannot intimidate me with your tithes or with your offering. So the only way we prove that we love God is not by how long we pray. It is not by how long we worship. It is rather how we treat the people that are around us. So if I come around you, for instance, I can know how much you love God simply by how you, you treat the people around you. So if you see somebody, and, and this is the way heaven measures, measures love for God, okay? Let's say there are two people. Number one person, oh, in fact, the Bible gives us a very, very excellent um, parable, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. And you see, there was this guy that got attacked by robbers on his way, on his trip. He got attacked by robbers, he was beaten, his, his money was stolen. Then a, a, the Pharisee came, the religious people, they came, they passed him. And mind you, these religious people where they recognize people, it's almost like saying, it's like saying the general overseer of your of, a, of the church, of the ministry, passed by and he saw this person that was injured, but let's say he was in a hurry to go to service because there was a very, their annual convention was, was going on. And he was in a hurry for, to go to an annual convention. And so, so, and so he saw this person beating, and he just passed the person and said, ah, God be with you. I pray that you, God keeps your life. And then he leaves the person and, and rushes to, to church. And then another person now comes that is not even really spiritual like that. Maybe he just gave his life to Christ some, some months ago and doesn't really know. He's not so deep, you know, how we, how, how we measure depth in God. He's not so deep like that. But he sees this person and he has compassion on the person and says, Come, I'm going to take care of you. I'll put you in a, in, a, in a clinic and pay for you. And if you need, if they need more money for your treatment, I would, I would, I would you know, pay for it. In the eyes of God, the person that has proven 
right, his love for God is not that so-called um, general overseer or so-called pastor or spiritual person, but rather the other person that took care of his neighbor. So again, I say to us that the way you treat people reflects your love for God. All right? The way you treat people reflects your love for God. All right, so verse 21 says, we're reading 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, 21. Verse 21 says, And this commandment have we, have we from him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. Very, very simple. So you say you love God, love your brother. You say you love God, love the people you can see. You say you love God, then show it by the way you treat the people around you. All right? So I believe that's clear enough. Um, so here I wrote again that the proof of our love for God is not in how long we spend praying or worshiping. Again, which is important, I must say. I'm not, I'm not discrediting quality time in fellowship, all right? However, after their quality time in fellowship, what you do to the people that are around you will actually reflect the impact of your fellowship. So I said here that the proof of our love for God is not in how long we spend praying or worshiping. Rather, it's in how we treat other people. Okay? So you have a driver, you have a cleaner, you have especially, let me let me chip in this, that especially people that are, you know, based on the social, social, social um, strata, they are lower than you or you are superior to them based on social status. Okay? That the way you treat those people will be the ultimate proof of your love for God, all right? Um, I hope this is clear enough so we can move on. Okay, so I have a question for us here, all right? And my question here, just, just for share personal experiences, have you ever treated someone wrongly and then the Holy Spirit kept talking at you for what you did? You know, has anyone ever experienced something like that? You, you treated someone wrongly and then and the Holy Spirit just kept talking at you. Anyone like that? Uh, you can, you know, just show, raise your hands up and let me know, let me show I'm not alone, you know. And especially if the person, if the if you were superior to the person, like I said, on the social um, strata, on the social, you know, ladder, you are, you are superior to the person and you treated the person in such a way that after that, the Holy Spirit kept talking at your heart and says, why did you treat that person this way? Anyone like that? Or am I the only one? Anyone, hands up. Just, you've had that experience ever before? Ah, nobody else. You are very, you are very righteous. So I'm very holy. Wow. That means everybody you've treated, you've treated them so well. Wow, this is impressive. No one's hand is up. Okay. So I am assuming, wait, wait. Okay, let me ask this question again. Have you ever at any point in time treated anyone in such a way that your heart kept pricking at you after that experience? And, um, you know, the Holy Spirit either talked at you to either apologize or to, you know, cause correct, basically. Anyone, has anyone ever had that experience? You can just raise your hands or just let us know in the chat or something. Nobody has had, okay, either, okay. Anyone's hand is up. Anyone that has had such experience, you treated someone in a particular way and then the Holy Spirit kept nudging at you for what you did. Any other person? Okay, um, Busayo, okay. Um, okay, so let me ask you, so what, what did you do 
when that happened? You know, what was your response like? Um, Busai, do you want to just share briefly your experience? So at that point, I mean, what happened and then what did you, what do you do to the person and what did you do in response to the nudging of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Yeah, Busai, we are with you. Um, good evening, everybody. Hi, good evening. So, um, I remember snapping at somebody once, and um, few minutes after, I felt it in my spirit that I shouldn't have snapped that person, but I actually did not get an opportunity to apologize. Mm. But I just prayed, and I felt bad about it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, awesome. So you prayed, and obviously you felt bad about it, and then you prayed. Great. Um, um, Ida, don't share, share with us your experience. What happened, and then what, how did you respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so mine is similar. I guess that's why you raised my hand first. When um, you're saying you know someone lower than you, or just like interaction with people, maybe annoying, and then just respond in a very funny way, or out of anger, you write a certain thing and then, of course, the reason is that you can't take it back, you just have to apologize. Mm. So just think, instead of responding, and I know it's wrong, of course, you should just keep nudging, like, okay, apologize. Take a while, but then, I mean, just will be. <laughs> right. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, any other person wants to share, share their experience, how you probably treated someone wrongly and then the Holy Spirit nudge at you to nudge at you that what you had done was wrong. You know, anyone share the experience? Um anyone? All right, hi. Hi Bolatso. Yes. So I have um, a very let's say very an experience like that. So was a time I don't know I am I um where I had the conversation like where like three having a conversation and a question was asked and I I blotted out a response that maybe I shouldn't have said like I just said oh no or I just I did something that really I did it the Holy Spirit just talked at me and said what you did was not good but mm. I didn't feel like it was a really bad thing because I was I just felt like I answered on behalf of the person and I didn't really take note of it that way, but person got offended for over a year or two years, wow. didn't talk to me. And I was wondering, what did I do so bad? So when she later um, um, maybe opened up or I later found out this is what I did. And I remember vividly that, oh, the Holy Spirit actually, you know, prompted me or told me that I was wrong. I apologize, but ever since then, never felt the same again. You know, she blocked me on all platforms. Like, that singular act alone just ruined the whole thing. And it never just went back to normal again. And although I feel good about it, but I honestly don't know how to proceed again. So I just, just keep me praying about it. And one day, you know, something will happen. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing your words. So I think from, I mean, so clearly, right, from our, all our sharings, it is 
it's clear that you know the Holy Spirit is sensitive, and this one this is one of the things I want to point out that the Holy Spirit is sensitive to the way we treat other people, right? And it, you can be you can be anything spiritual, right? I attain the height of spirituality, but if you treat people wrongly, um, it doesn't it doesn't prove that you love God. It shows that you are you don't according to what Scripture says, it shows that you don't yet know God. Okay, so the way we treat people is is super important. Even, even in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And secondly is that apology, and it's something I didn't include in the slides here, but apology is usually, um, apology usually requires humility. So if you treat someone wrongly and then the Holy Spirit impresses on you to go and apologize, it requires a ton of humility, especially if you, if you think you are, you are right for, for acting the way you did. Let's say you and your friend um, have an argument, for instance, and then you say some really, really nasty things. And then the Holy Spirit tells you to go and apologize. And then you tell the Holy Spirit, but he also said this, or she also said that. And then the Holy Spirit doesn't let you rest. So you have to go and apologize. It takes an amount, a, a ton of humility to do so. And, but after you do that, it, um, it actually it, it, it leaves an impact on your heart. So that the next time you have an opportunity to apologize, it becomes easier to, to apologize, right? And the third thing I was going, what I was going to say is that most times this occurs within um, close-knit relationships. And, and let me say it this way, especially within close-knit relationships. <clears throat> so within your family, within your friends, or you know, close your inner circle like that. Um, it is important to apologize as soon as you can so that you can maintain the purity of your heart and the purity of your spirit, right, within that relationship. And of course, eventually also keep the relationship, okay? So thanks for sharing, everyone. Um, so how we treat people, right, super important. Last scripture I want to read, which is very um, important, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46. Matthew chapter 21. Okay, so we're not going to read this scripture because it's a long one. However, I'll just, I'll just point out some things. So I'll just skip some verses and, and read them out to us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46, okay? So I encourage all of us to read it when um, at our own personal time. It's very instructive. And this was actually um, sends chills down my, my spine because of how graphic it is. So this was just Christ talking about the last day and and when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And then it says that he's going to split the people into two groups, the sheep and the goats. Then he now explains the category of people that fall among the sheep. He says the sheep are those who... So, so look at verse um, 30, 33, right? He says, and he shall keep the sheep at his right hand and the goats on, his, on the left, right? And verse 34 says, then, the king, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. He says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he was going to give them a reward. And then he now begins to explain why they were getting this reward. He says, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I needed clothes, you clothed, clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And he went on and on, talking about how, how they treated him. And so the people in amazement looked at the king and said, but we never for once saw you without clothes. I mean, you're a king. We never saw you without clothes. We never saw you hunger. We never saw you in prison. How come you are saying we did all of this? And Jesus Christ now explains that if you do, look at verse um, verse 40. 
He says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, then you have done it unto me. So just Christ was, um, was explaining that if you have done it unto any of the, the least of my brethren, then you have done it also unto me. Again, this emphasizes what we just said, that the way we treat people ultimately shows our love for God. And now Matthew chapter 25 extends it, extends it further to say that the way we treat people actually reveals the same way we are treating God. Meaning, if you show kindness to your neighbor, then you are showing kindness to God. And the reason is because that your neighbor was created in the image and the likeness of God, as Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 reveals to us. So our, our relationship with people ultimately now shows our relationship with God. So you say, tell me, if you ask me, or oh, show me a spiritual person, so show me somebody that really knows God, I will tell you and I will ask you and say, show me somebody that treats people well, then that person knows God. If you see a believer that treats people well, that, that relates with people with, with, with honor and with respect, then that person really, really knows God, all right? So I said here that eventually we will be judged by, by our response to the opportunities we had to help people. Let me take that again. Eventually, we'll be judged by our response to the opportunities we had to help people. Meaning, if you look at your life right now, or if you, if you look at the season of your life you are in, right, there are certain opportunities you have to help people. It might be a colleague at work. It might be someone in the family. It might be a stranger next door. It might be someone you meet, you know, on the road or whatever it is. As those opportunities present themselves, the way we respond to those opportunities would eventually play a significant, um, will eventually become a significant factor when we are being judged. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ explained in Matthew chapter 25. That when he said, oh, I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats, the difference was the way they treated people. It was not by the amount of offering they gave in church. Offering is great, yeah? It was not by the amount of, um, of time they spent in prayer, and prayer is great. But ultimately, it was determined by how they treated people. So if you spend so much time in church, so much time giving and all of that, but yet you don't treat people right, then the Bible says that judgment will be based on that. Okay, so it is super, super, super important that as we walk through this earth, our, our response to people, or rather our response to the opportunities to help people um, should be taken very, very importantly. So again, I throw a question to you that look at your life right now. Take note of the opportunities that come daily or the opportunities that are, even, um, um, that are open at, the, at, at this point in time. Take note of those opportunities because it will play a significant role in, you know, our, our overall um, judgment on the last day, okay? So let me read that again. It says, eventually, we will be judged by our response to the opportunities we had um, to help people. Next thing I want to point out from this scripture is that Jesus Christ identifies with those in need. Look at what he said, verse 40. He says, and the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Jesus Christ calls them my brethren, meaning he identifies with those that I need. And, and the people he's referring to here um, were those who were hungry, who, who were naked, who were, who were in prison, who were thirsty and all of that. So Jesus Christ identifies with people that I need. It's almost like saying, 
God has a soft spot for people that he need. And if you check through scriptures, you find this to be true. For instance, where I just quoted that, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Right? He says that if you withhold justice from the widow and from the orphan, that God himself will fight you. I'm just paraphrasing now. Meaning that God is sensitive to those who are marginalized. God is sensitive to those who are in need. God is sensitive to those who do not have the strength and the power to fend for themselves. And J Jesus identifies himself with those people. So every time you show kindness to one of such people, Jesus is pleased because he says you are showing that kindness to me. You know, the way God sees it is that if somebody, you know, the Bible calls God the father to the fatherless. Now, of course, God is father to everybody, whether you have a father or not, right? God is father to everybody. But God now came specifically to say, if you don't have a father, I will personally become your father in a way that is intimate, okay? And so God identifies with such people that are, um, that, um, such people, you know, orphans and fatherless and widows. And what that means is that if you now show kindness to one of such people in need, right, God is greatly pleased because it is as though you are showing kindness to him directly. And this shows how powerful our acts of kindness um, is. So, for instance, you, you go to the, to the shopping mall and you see an elderly person struggling with bags and baskets and you go to help that person. God is so pleased with that action because you have treated someone who is at a disadvantage or someone who is in a vulnerable position, you've treated, treated that person well. All right? So Jesus identifies with people, with these people who are in, who are in need. All right? So, I mean, there's much to say about this, but let us proceed. So the second thing, remember, we're talking about expressions of love, all right? And what we said first, right, was um, first expression is how we treat people, which is a key expression of love, that the way you treat people really shows that you love God and it really um, 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 shows that you also love people, okay? And so, yeah, the way we treat people is the first expression of love we're considering. Second expression of love is living peaceably, Okay. That means living in living in peace, basically. Um, so let, let us read. Okay, we have a couple of scriptures to read. Um, all right, we'll read all of them. So please, someone should open to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Another person should open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. And lastly, someone should open to Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 18. Um, so you can just look at the screen. The scriptures are there. And pick a scripture to open for us as you help us read. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. If you are there, please read for us. Anyone there? Philippians chapter 2. Please read for us um, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Yes, please. Is there encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in him? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest 
Thank you. Thank you very much. So Paul was saying here that, you know, if there's any comfort we have in the, in the spirit, any fellowship and all of that, then he says, love one another, live peaceably, uh, be in unity and in agreement with, with one another. And that's what verse, um, verse 2 pretty much summarizes, okay? And he says, fulfill my joy, I'm reading verse 2 now, fulfill my joy that ye be like-minded. Like-minded means you are together in agreement. There's no, one person is not going left, another person is going right. No, that you are like-minded, you are agreeing together. And this context, context is especially for believers, all right? Especially when you stay among believers or you have a, a gathering of believers. Paul is saying that there should not be separation and argument and strife and disunity and discord. No, they say, he's saying let there be unity, let there be peace among believers, okay? It says, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. That means being, being at peace with one another and then being of one mind. Then he goes on to explain that nothing should be done out of vain glory and all of that. What I want to emphasize here from all the script, from these verses is that Paul was saying we, we, should be, we should be in unity and in oneness with believers. All right? So let's read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. If you are there, please read for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. I'm trying to move fast so that we can wrap up soon. Anyone there, please go ahead. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Oh, please, I need volunteers to read. All right, let me read then. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 says, And I, brethren, this is <clears throat> Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, Sorry, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. So Paul was saying that when I came to you, I had to treat you people like babies in Christ, like, like children, in spiritual children, spiritual babies, okay? And he goes on to say that I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able so he says i fed you with milk because you are not yet mature enough to handle handle meat okay he now says verse three that for you ye are carnal so he was telling them that even though they were christians but they were carnal christians which is one of the which is one of the categories that christians can decide to belong to they can decide to become carnal christians and why why did he say they were carnal christians this is why he said so he says for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions and divisions are ye not carnal and work as men? Meaning that if you see a group of believers that there's envy, there's strife, they don't live in peace with each other. The description of such believers is that they are carnal, carnal believers. So yes, they are Christians, but they are carnal Christians. Meaning uh, the absence of peace among believers, when if a believer cannot live peaceably, right, with other people, with other believers, then that believer is a carnal believer. If any small thing, the believer is quick to argue, quick to fight, quick to stir up um, um, discord, right, among, among others, then that believer is a carnal believer, okay? And if you look, think about it, you find out that a lot of Christians are very carnal. I mean, if you are in the church, you know that there's a lot of them are carnal. I'm, I mean, they are Christians. God still loves them, but they are carnal Christians. You know, have you ever been in maybe a fellowship or even in your church and in a, in a group in church, maybe a workers group in church, and among the group, right, they are fighting for who will be the leader or who will be the closest to the pastor. And, I mean, no offense, right, but I, I just, from my experience, it happens a lot about amongst choir people. 
I don't I don't know why. I don't know why the devil attacks that group the most, but you bear me witness that it happens a lot amongst you know choir people and generally anywhere it happens actually. But the Bible says that if such is happening, then these people are canal, are canal Christians. All right. So let's go to Romans chapter 12. Please, if you are there, read for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 18. Romans chapter 12, please, 17 to 18. Romans 12, 17 to 18. Never take back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can live in peace with everyone. Amen. Let me just speak out verse 18. It says, if it is possible, you know, it's almost like saying, let, let me put it the way you say it in Nigeria, right? They say, last, last, do all that you can to live at peace with everybody. It just shows you the mindset that God has, right, for our Christian living. That if we're going to live amongst people, then we should be at peace with them. And living at peace is honestly an expression of love, simply because people find it difficult to stay, people find it difficult to stay with troublesome people, right? So it says, live at peace as much as it depends on you, as much as your money can afford. If it means, if it means, you know, let, let me give an example now. Let's assume you, um, for instance, let's assume you and your neighbor, let's say you live in a compound or you live in a, in a among a block of flats or something, and then you and your neighbor are always fighting and arguing about, about um, parking space, for instance. And if you live in Lagos, you would understand what, what this is. Um, and you especially understand what this is. And you, you and your neighbor are always fighting about parking space. The Bible says that if it means you're going to park a probably five meters away from your house just so that you live in peace, then go ahead and do that. So part of the responsibility that is placed on us as believers is to live in peace. And this doesn't, again, the Bible doesn't say live in peace only if the person around you or the person you are dealing with is peaceful. No, it says you let the responsibility be on you to live in peace with the other people. Okay. It says, um, if it is possible, as much as it light, light with you, live peaceably with all men. So this verse now extends the, the boundaries of our, of our peacemaking beyond just believers. It says with all men, meaning if the person is an unbeliever, still live at peace with him. If the person is a, is a witch doctor, live at peace with him. If the person is, is, um, is an atheist, live at peace with him. Our disposition to people, including those that are not of the same faith with us, should be that of peace. So you can't cause trouble because oh, so the person next door doesn't share the same spirit, uh, spirit, um, share the same um, spiritual convictions as you are. No, you still live at peace with the person, and then let God do the work of you know turning, changing the person's heart. All right. So I said here that <clears throat> strife and disunity are proofs of immaturity, and this is taken from First Corinthians chapter three, verse one to three, where we read that where you see there's strife, there you see there's animosity, there's fighting, there's Argument, it is a sign of immaturity. So as mature believers, God expects us to live at peace with people. Now, this doesn't mean everybody will agree with you. Neither will you agree with everybody, including believers. This doesn't mean, in fact, even about the word of God, it doesn't mean you agree with the, the way your, your, your fellow believer interprets a certain portion of God's word. However, the Bible says, gives us the instructions to live at peace with all men. 
So the, the reason why we're living at peace is not because we're in agreement with them, which is something I need to also clarify, that being in agreement is totally different from being at peace with someone. You can disagree with someone's views and perspectives, but yet be at peace with the person. I mean, for many of us working in companies where they are both Christians, Muslims, atheists, different people there, they are not, they're not, they're not, they're, you're, you're not employed based on your faith. You're employed based on your skill, all right? So you don't have to agree with the person, right, to live at peace with the person. That's what I'm saying. And, um, and that's, that's, that the ability to live at peace with people is a proof of spiritual maturity, all right? So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. We have to run quickly. Time is really up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Please read for us if you're there. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Ephesians chapter 1, verse... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Anybody there? Okay, no one there. So let me read there. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Yes, please. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with Wow, praise God. Um, I want you to read verse 2 and verse 3 again for me with that translation. Okay. Always be humble and gentle. Mm -hmm. Be patient with each other. Mm -hmm. Making allowance for each other's fault mm -hmm. because of your love. Make yes. every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with it says, make, thank you very much. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves with peace. This is such a powerful scripture. And for context, this is referring to believers especially, okay? That it says, the way we keep ourselves united in the spirit, as believers, for instance, in this community or in your family or in your church or your fellowship or wherever you find yourself among believers, the Bible says that the way you keep yourselves united in spirit is by being at peace with one another. So when somebody comes and, and there's an there's argument, there's dispute, that, that is why that's why Paul says, Paul was saying that how would he was talking to the Corinthian church that how would you guys be taking your disputes to the public and be settling it in court, in, in the public courts, that don't you have people among you that can judge a matter and settle it so that it doesn't go outside? Because Paul knows that the moment you start having, you know, cases like that and you start having quarrels among believers that it will, it will affect the unity of the spirit. And our strength is in our unity, okay? Our strength is in our unity as believers because individually, we cannot resist the devil and his affairs. But when we come as a body united, then we can suppress the devil. So the devil knows that he's, he's at a disadvantage if we are united. And so because of that, he seeks several avenues to bring discord, to bring quarrels, to bring arguments, to bring strife among believers. And let me tell you this, right? Anywhere you see a group of believers or a group of friends and, um, and they are together and they have been together for a while, that means th these people know how to handle their differences. But the moment strife begins to come in, that unity will be affected. So the Bible is telling us that the way we maintain unity in the body of Christ is by ensuring we live peaceably with one another. And let me encourage you, right? You might find yourselves in 
in different settings of believers, obviously believers still have faults. Obviously people are still working on their weaknesses and including you as well. So don't be quick to, don't be quick to make a fuss about people's weaknesses. Again, like Roman says, as much as it depends on you, do all you can to live at peace with people. Yes, some people would backstab you. Yes, believers, especially in this context now, believers would lie against you. They would say hurtful things, but make it your number one priority to live at peace with people. And like I said, it doesn't mean you agree with what they did, but you have chosen the path of peace, okay? So you tell yourself, I am not a man of war. I am a man of peace, all right? So it says, let me read verse three again. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Very, very important. So I said here that peace is the bond. Peace is that bond, is the bond that keeps the unity of the spirit among believers. The most potent force against the move of God is strife among believers, all right? Meaning that whenever God is moving among his people, the, only, the major thing that can hinder it is when there is strife. When one person begins to become envious of another person or becomes jealous of another person, then that is what will hinder the, the move of God amongst his people. But the moment you can eliminate strife and you maintain unity, there is nothing the devil can do. All right, and, and I, I would like to say it this way, that the move of God doesn't die from murder, it dies from suicide. Let me say that again. The move of God amongst his, amongst his people doesn't die from murder, it dies from suicide. What that means is it doesn't die because something from the, from the outside tried to kill it. It dies because something from within, one of the people in that move of God um, did something to bring about disunity and then that's what killed the move of God. All right? So one last scripture and I will ask us a question. John chapter, James chapter 3, verse 13 to 16. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 16. A very, very powerful and um, instructive verse of scripture. James chapter 3, verse 16. Please read if you are there. All right. James 3, verse 13 to 16. Let me read. It says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show it out of a good conversation. His works with, out of a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. Conversation here means lifestyle, all right? He says, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Have you ever met people that boast in their capacity to keep malice? That means they tell, they tell that, I'm not talking to, Let's say there's a, there's a there's someone called Mr. Mr. James, right? He says, I'm not talking to James, so let's say why I'm keeping malice, I'm keeping malice. And they take so much pride. The way they say it is like it's almost like they, they won a, an award in their in their place of work. He says, No, I'm keeping malice at him. I'm not going to talk to him. They say, Come, let's go and greet him. He says, No, 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 him now. I don't I won't I won't do it. I'm keeping malice. Or they are sharing gifts and they say, Oh, this gift is from Mr. James. It's from Mr. James. I take, I don't want to give. Ah, why not let him know? I'm keeping my list with Mr. James. And, you know, it's amazing that there are believers that actually do this. In fact, some, some may say it this way, but some may not say it. However, it is in their hearts. And then the Bible says that, verse, verse 14, 14 says, if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't boast about it. Okay? Now, verse 15 says, the wisdom, um, this wisdom, um, this wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Now, verse 16, which is where I'm going to. It says, for where envy and strife is, 
there is confusion and every evil work. Meaning wherever you go to, if you go to, a, to let's say, an office and you see that they are envious about each other, there's jealousy, there's strife. In that office, there's a, there will be every manner of evil work. If you go to a family and among the family, there's strife, there's envy, there's jealousy among themselves, it's just a matter of time before other evil works come in. What that means is that envy and strife and disunity opens the door for every other kind of evil work. If you see that somebody is, um, if you see that somebody, for instance, is plotting how to, how to bring somebody down, it just only means that it started from a place of envy. Envy started its um, strife started it. There was disunity, and then the person that that opened the door for other kind of vices to come in. So, as believers, we must watch against this. We must aim to live at peace with people. It is a vital expression of love, right? That we aim to live at peace with people, and we do away with things like malice, anger, um, strife, and any of those things, right? So I said here that strife among people opens the door to every kind of evil. I mean, every kind. If you hear that someone murdered another person, it was strife that opened that door. If you hear that oh, someone, someone plotted the downfall of another person's business, it was strife. Any, if you see evil manifesting in a place, the first thing you should look for is strife. The moment you eliminate strife, the whole arrangement will reset itself. But when there's strife, then strife will open the door for other kinds of evils um, to come in, all right? So I said here again that living peaceably means you value the overall health of the body of Christ above your need to be proven right. And why I said this is because there are, there are going to be cases where people will wrong you and they will be at fault, you will be in the right. They will be wrong, you will be right. And people will hurt you, right? But you need to choose peace above your, your desire to prove that you're right. Because the moment you begin to, you want to prove that you're right, then you will enter an unending hole of doing something back to them to prove that you're, you're right. And you might be disappointed that they'll never even accept you're right, even if it's clear. They might never accept that you're right. They might never apologize. They might never even say anything like close to I'm sorry, right? So you need to relieve yourself of that body to prove you're right and then walk in peace. So when you live peaceably like this, it shows that you value the overall health of the body of Christ, meaning you know that if you don't live peaceably to affect the unity of the body of Christ. So you said, for the sake of the body, I will be at peace, even though I am hot, even though I am the one that was offended, yet I will live at peace for the sake of the body of Christ. Okay? So it says that, um, I said here that it shows you value the overall health of the body of Christ above your need to be proven right. And this is a sacrifice, Okay? However, this sacrifice ends you the identity of a matured son of God. And if you read Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says that um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This is slightly different from just the general context of we being children of God. Um, the Greek word you translated sons there implies maturity, not just offspring. Okay? Not just the fact that all of us are children of God. No. It says the, the word there implies maturity. So it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be referred to as the sons of God. That means they shall refer to as the matured ones of God. So when you sacrifice your, your rights so that peace would reign, the Bible re re regards you as a mature son of God. All right? Well, I mean, when I mean son, I mean both male and female. Okay, so I have a question, and 
we'll begin wrapping up with this question. And I really want us to discuss this, okay? As a believer, what are some of the tips of living with troublesome people? I mean, have you ever stayed with people that are troublesome, whether in your office or um, at home or, you know, maybe back in school or wherever, you know, you have ever encountered troublesome people, probably your boss or something. What are some of the tips you use to, to handle and deal with troublesome people? Please, I would like us to share um, those tips um, to us right now. Anyone wants to go? Just what are some of the tips of dealing with troublesome people as a believer now? What are some of the tips of dealing with troublesome people? Anyone wants to go first or do I call someone? Anyone wants to go first? Okay, let me call. Okay, good. But let's see, please go ahead. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Before you go, let Esther go, then Bolati will go next, and then okay. Emily will go after that. So, Esther, over to you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. I just wanted to say that it, it works like magic. <laughs> just first pray for the person. You. Mm. It will not even take. Just take your time to just pray for the person. It works. It works like. Pray for the person. That's number one. So basically, that is when you subdue the person's spirit, man. Pray for, not against. Mm. When I mean pray for, let it be well. Like, not going to, even if you don't like it, oh, just be praying. <laughs> let what comes out of your mind be blessings and not curses. At mm. always, of course. Then you you just want one change like that, and then where when the need you just use that one just spot one opportunity when the person is in need and they're showing what kind of that person what kind of little love thank you thank you very much thank you so much that was really great so pray for the person right and i like what you said say not against the person also i'm not praying that thunder fire this person let and uh, we're not praying that we are praying for the person that it be well with the person and all thank you very much for that um Bolatito, please go next okay good evening so I have like two scenarios. So at a point, my first job, I had a very difficult boss. Like she was always, like I know that time was like a very trying period in my life because I remember times I would go back to my room and cry. And many times I cried, you mm. know. But the thing that um, kept me was that I never changed my attitude towards her. Once she maybe scolded me, shouted, I just like, okay, how do I correct it? Like, and there was a time where on uh, my birthday, when we used to have TGIs in the office and she said something about me and I just felt, um, I felt like, okay, maybe she had really been noticing. She was like, ah, despite all the way I shout at Bolatito, she never for once raised her voice back. She would just like take it and run with it. And I just felt like, okay, so, <laughs> so, um, I think the best way to treat people like that is just be a, just show love back to them. Don't, and in as much as it may hurt you mm. or their, their activity, their, what they do hurt you, yeah. you, what you can just do, just show love back. You know, I, I, it's very difficult praying for people like that, but just 
like they say love your neighbor as yourself you didn't say love neighbor that is good to you love neighbor that is yeah. kind to you yeah. just love the person don't change your attitude towards them just act normal as difficult as maybe act normal even at home i think even at i had a similar scenario at home and the only thing i just is well <laughs> I'll just show love back to the person. Like, like there's this thing that uh, someone always told me was that use kindness or use love to finish the person at the end of the day. Like, once you show love, there's no how people yeah. will respond to love. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. So we respond in love to the person. Don't act based on the person's attitude and be yourself. Thank you very much for that. Um, Emily, your hand, your hand is up. Please go ahead. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Everybody has said that I wanted to see you. Ah, because... Well, say it <laughs> in your own words. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I've had different, um, like say, clashes with people that are troublesome. And one thing I realized is that it's never really about you. Like, people are carrying their own baggages. Like, don't mm-hmm. take it personally. It's never, like, if, if you can get it to the bottom of your heart that is not about you, maybe it's easier for you to also forgive them. Then you can, it's, it's not easier for you to also treat them in love. It could even be that some people, they are, they are fighting with their husbands or they might be having trouble at home or something and they're just taking it out on you. Mm-hmm. It's never, never really about you, okay? I mean, because it's not, just trust me. It's never really about you. They might they might think it's about you, but it's always a deeper um problem. And that's what um helped me when I went through mine. That was what helped me to walk in love with the person. It was not easy, it was very difficult. But um, you know, because we do our flesh and we love God. If you really love God genuinely, be able to love man. That's one thing I figured out. So I just showed the person love, respected the person, and I kept a safe distance. For me, with that person, I had to keep a safe distance because having the person in my space, there was always one thing or the other coming up. So I kept a safe distance, respected it because the person was so like above me at work. So I just kept a respectable, safe distance and, you know, just show the person love with wisdom. So yeah, awesome. just awesome. make things show love, to be honest. Okay, great, great. Thank you very much for that. So. You, from what you're saying, people have baggages, and most times they don't treat, they treat you they treat you based on how they are, right? So you know how they say that people's um, the way people the way you treat others reflects you, not them. Reflects a lot about you, not them. Okay, thank you so much for that. One last person before we go, and want to share how do we treat how do we handle difficult people, or what tips would you give us to handle difficult people? Anyone? 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 Idara? Okay, yeah. Um, so I, I was very honest. This message behind me, I, first of all, I'll take a little bit of said so many things and I'm actually writing down, to be honest, because today I was already considering how can I move from this unit? How can I? So basically, if I'm going to ask you that, I've been hearing believers, believers, can you address the work, please? And I'm just happy that people are just being like, okay, this boss, that boss, and things like that. So I'm, I'm grateful for this, to be very honest. Um, I think throughout today, things that have been, you know, just coming to me 
Yeah. It's, it's not about you, person said. It is not about you. And there's so many things that you've mentioned. Defending yourself, or not really defending yourself, but just trying to all oh, explain, oh, this is it. Doesn't go anywhere. Whether you're right, you, you might not go, like, there might be no acceptance of, oh, this is right. Their way is their way. So just remember that it's really not, <laughs> it's not about you. And to be honest, I, I kept saying today that God is, what is the lesson you want me to learn in this person? Because I don't know if I can handle this. And yeah. these that you, Philippians, those passages that just kept saying, remain humble, be gentle, be patient, love one another. In fact, I'm taking a screenshot. I know that my assignment, so that's what dropped. That's what doing these things. Right. And I'm being very right now. So that was just what one thing I just said. So just be patient, be humble, be gentle, love, just love. It's not easy, like everyone has mentioned, and that cannot be right besides, but just, just love. So yes, that's my takeaway, really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that, Ida. So yeah, walk in love. Um, in conclusion, I, just, I had a last note for us. I have a last note for us here. And I said here that love is not an emotion. So walking in love shouldn't be regulated by our emotional disposition towards or against the person. And I think all the explanations and contributions we're giving, this is just the summary of it. That love is not an emotion, meaning that you'll be required to walk in love towards people that you really don't like. If, you, if they ask you the real truth, you'll be like, I don't like this person. But God still commands us to walk in love. So you can't, you can't check your emotions before walking in love. Of course, there are people that you really just love, your friends, um, your family, you really just love them. However, there are people you will meet that your, your emotions is screaming red. I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. But God will still demand you love that person. So we have to put our emotions aside and walk in love, okay? Um, and that's why it's very important. And let me just say this, <clears throat> say this generally. You never put your emotions ahead to guide you. God didn't design our emotions to lead us. God designed our emotions to, to, to reflect and indicate things as an indicator, not as a leader. What I mean, for instance, is you might not feel love towards someone, but God wants you to walk in love. Right, so you put your emotions behind you and walk in love. Of course, emotions play a crucial, play a significant role in our lives, right? Because it's right through our emotions that we know we. It's almost like, like your skin, for instance. Your skin, through your skin, you can know when someone is when someone is touching you. And if the touch is painful, you will know. If the touch is gentle, you will know as well. It's the same thing with our emotions. Your emotions is that indicator that shows, lets us know what is going on. However, the indicator is not meant to lead us. So emotions can let you know if you like someone or not, if you are, if you, if you like they say in, in, in Nigeria, if you gel with the person or not, right? So your emotions will let you know. However, your emotions should not determine your actions. Your actions should always be determined by love. So let me read again. Love is not an emotion. So in, walking in love shouldn't be regulated by our emotional disposition towards or against the person. And then lastly, I said here that God <clears throat> measures, <clears throat> excuse me, God measures love by obedience, not how we feel about it. So God will measure your love. And I put several scriptures here that we, we won't have time to read. But um, John 14 verse 15 says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So God measures love by obedience, not whether you feel like it or not, you know. 
And the, the Bible says, the, Jesus Christ gives, an, gives a parable. He said, there are two, a man had two children. He called the first child and said, go to this place and send the child on an errand. And the child said, oh, yes, I will do it. But eventually the child didn't do it. He called the second child and sent him on the errand. The child said, I will not do it. But later on, he changed his mind and eventually did it. And Joshua said, who do you think the who do you think did the will of the father eventually? And the obvious answer was the second child. So it is not how you feel about it. It is your obedience that counts. So God measures love by our obedience, not how we feel about it. And the following scriptures um, um, let us know that, okay? So we have to end here. I, I didn't imagine that it would take this long. Um, but I believe we've learned one thing or the other. So we would, oh, sorry, not that. Um, so we're going to end here at this point. Um, we've already made a lot of contributions, but I'll just ask one person that hasn't spoken, what have you learned so far? Just one person that hasn't spoken, what have you learned so far? Um, Cecil, I'm not sure I've heard your voice. So please tell us what you learned so far as we close. Cecil, are you there? If you are there, you are muted, so we can't hear you. What have you learned so far? Okay, Cecil is not there. Tosin, do you want to go? Just one thing you learned so far. I'm not sure I heard your voice, Tosin. Are you there? Uh-oh, okay, not there. Oh, yeah, good evening. I'm here, but I joined a bit late okay. because of classes and all. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Just anything you learned so far from the time you joined till now. All right. So I, when I joined, you were talking about um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to try to recall it. Yeah, that's fine. That's but fine. It was it was about um, so I'm very, so I'm very sorry. I can't, I can't recall. I can't recall at the moment. Okay, that's I'm very good. sorry. Yeah, sure, that's good. Cecil, um, do you want to share, I mean, do you want to type in or do you want to just say what you learned today? One thing you learned today. Um, you're muted, Cecil, if you're there, you're muted. Uh, okay, good. So he said, I shouldn't let my emotions be my guide to love people. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. All right. So that's the end of our, our journey on, on Ambassadors for Christ. And um, I really encourage us to have this in mind. To be honest, right, like I keep saying, what really tests our maturity in Christ is this at these moments of, of working in love. They will test our maturity in Christ. And like we all have agreed, it's not the most conducive thing for our flesh However, it's very powerful for us to walk in. Praise God. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for the fellowship of your spirit. We thank you for teaching us. And we are asking this evening um, today for the grace to walk in love. We ask that every opportunity you, you allow us to encounter to walk in love will be diligent enough to walk in love in those opportunities in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, if there are still hearts in our hearts that we are harboring and we are we haven't, you know, let go of. We ask you for the grace to let go of it. We ask you for the wisdom to, to deal with difficult people in our, in our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. All right, just one announcement. 
um, really just inviting again for next week. So we're going to meet next next um, next week, same time, same you know link. And next week is going to be our prayer meeting. So Bible study will be prayer prayer meeting. You know next week. So please invite people and do well to come along. All right. God bless you all. Have a wonderful um, day or a wonderful time. Bye.